0: it's sprung
1: it has and which is awesome but also maybe not great super great because i have a wicked headache and i'm pretty sure that's why
0: i hope that's why
1: welcome to this week's edition of an hour of your life my name is kim
0: and i am steve
1: and do you want to tell him what your what our cousin calls uh it, what happens in the springtime that causes everybody to have uh, problems with their allergies?
0: Uh, be uh, No,
1: tree, tree love.
0: Tree love, yeah. <laughs> tree love. Greg calls it tree love. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: yeah, well, the tree love is in full effect, I think, because I have a headache and I have a little bit of sniffles. And... Anyway, what do you want to talk about? Anything interesting and exciting going well, on? Well, let's.
0: Let's take care. This episode is going to be a very bittersweet episode. And I say that not... It, it, yeah. It, when we first heard about this, we thought we, it was... I, I thought it was...
1: It's very cartoony.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah it uh, on just the surface. See, yeah, it doesn't seem like it's real or possible. And you think it's just kind of like a joke and nothing until we get toward the end and people lose their lives. So, you know, the title of the episode, which you've seen is... The Great Molasses Flood of 1919. Well, yeah, it, we thought it was just...
1: It sounds lighthearted and cartoony. And like, you, I mean, that's what you picture is like, a, like, I don't know. I, I, for some reason, it makes me think of Animaniacs and like Wacko Yakko and Dot running through the Warner Brothers lot, like as this big tidal wave of molasses comes after them. And it's very cartoony in my mind, but people died.
0: Yeah. it gets
1: Children died. It gets
0: really serious.
1: It is not a lighthearted thing so we're going to try to be respectful um i still can't like i i think this is gonna be a hard one for me okay because i think like i can't help it it's still kind of funny but it's not funny at all
0: yeah it's let's take care of a little business first (laughs) (laughs) okay okay so this past week i realized that we didn't own the domain name for an hour of your life so what i do i went to godaddy.com and I reserved an hour of your life.com. So no one could get it and try to charge us a million dollars for that or whatever, yeah, or just do. put We're nefarious saying. things out there and nefarious use it or whatever. Hour but hour. I wanted to reserve it anyway, yeah. whatever. Then I thought, well, you know what? As long as we have the URL, I may as well make a website. Why not? We got it. Go uh, an hour of your life.com. And so I went and I made a website it took me about two hours um so, so we have a website. So right now if you want to go to an hour of your life.com, you'll see our website. Now I'm going to tell you right up front. It's so fancy. There's nothing fancy <laughs> about this. It's a it's a GoDaddy free template and so it's, yeah, it's I can't not, do a lot with it right now. There's no
1: bells and whistles.
0: Yeah. But the good thing about it is we've posted some pictures. There's two pages to it. So we've posted some pictures, some of our favorite pictures out there that kind of relate to some of our episodes mm-hmm. and things like that. And there's also a link to the current episode and you can there's a link to actually the podbean and it just where you can go and you can find all the episodes. So I guess if you really listen it makes it convenient. You yeah. all you have to do is remember an hour of your life.com. Super easy. Yeah.
1: We're kicking around some extra ideas. Um, I you know one of the things that we've maybe talked about is featuring a charity each month. Uh, and like linking to that charity's page that if you want to, um, you know, check them out and sponsor them or whatever, uh, that's something that we might do. If we ever get famous, we'll get some merch on there, but that's not anytime in the near future.
0: Yeah, There's no merch coming.
1: Uh, we do have stickers though. I, we, I we'll mentioned give that from away. time to time. We're yeah. not selling those. No, no, no. That's what I'm saying is if you want a sticker, just go to
0: an hour of your and
1: and <laughs> there's a... No.
0: We are nowhere big enough to start selling no, merch. No, no, <laughs>
1: but no. But listen, there's also a thing on there where you can, like there's a chat feature. And so you can go to an and just chat and say, hey, send me a sticker. This no, is my address. It
0: doesn't work. It, it just takes you to the email.
1: Well, I mean, whatever. Okay, yeah, it's, it's, it's not like but, a live chat. Like well, I, if we get the email in real time and I'll email you back right then because it comes into my phone, which is attached to my hip.
0: Well, so. I get it in real time. It just goes to the... Uh, a lost hour at gmail.com. Yeah, I know,
1: but you don't always like I live with my phone.
0: Uh, that is true. You, you do <laughs> so, live with your phone. So
1: it almost will be like real chat. Anyway. Yeah.
0: But I so promise. That's thing. But I promise with the website, bigger and better is coming. We, you know, we don't know exactly what we want to do with it, but there's there's gonna be some good things coming with that website. We'll get there. Now we do have some new followers this week. Yay. Jasmine, SJ Nichols too, Babs. And this one <laughs> is PBJ PBG760C0CXG7.
1: I wonder if that person is a real person.
0: <laughs> Don't know. Oh, you know, it, it is. It's the, uh, I'm pretty sure it's the Podbean. When, when you uh, start a podcast, Podbean mm-hmm. gives you that. I I can't explain it, but it is a real person. Oh, well, welcome, real yeah, person. So w- welcome and... Tell five friends about an hour of your life now all you have to do is say
1: go to an hour of your life.com.
0: go to an hour of your life.com and you can follow along and do whatever you want to do with it but I do have another follow-up episode 53 Buford pusser so last night a gentleman through Facebook contacted me through messenger and I'm not going to use his name without permission because we didn't we didn't go into that but he had some really interesting facts and insights from a guy named Mike Elam, who is an author and who's conducted a lot more detailed and extensive research on Buford Pusser. Um, you know, it, the, the, there, there's a lot more to the story, and there's always a twist. And apparently, Mr. Elam has uncovered a lot of those twists. So, apparently, I, I think you can buy his book. It's called The Other Story. And I think you can get it on... Uh, you might am- be
1: able to get it at the library.
0: You can get it on Amazon. I know that for sure. Okay, well, there
1: and you the go. And the other
0: news is Kim passed her CCA. I,
1: I did. For Kim, those of you that don't know... What is a CCA? No. Um, I, I am now a certified coding associate, which means I get letters behind my name. I'm so fancy. What,
0: what are the letters? It's
1: CCA. <laughs> yes.
0: And I've been listening to... So she started a, over a year and a half ago, went back to school to Sinclair and picked up an an associate's degree to be able to do this.
1: Well, it's not, I mean, it's not quite, it's not a a degree. It's just a certification. A
0: certification. And then on top of that, for the past six weeks since she finished school, I've been listening. Oh, I'll never pass. I'll never pass. Listen. Oh my gosh. I'll never pass. No.
1: Okay. Now listen, I, I'm a a pretty good test taker. And so I don't normally get freaked out by tests, but the last major test I took was my, uh, at the time it was the praxis to be able to teach English. And that's my, that's my love. Like I love English and I love language. And so I and studied really hard four for weeks that one. Before that,
0: oh my gosh. Well, I'll never pass. I'll never pass. It is very, it
1: is ve- that is a very difficult one.
0: And you aced it.
1: I, I did very well on it, but that was kind of a, a you know, that's where my heart is. This one is much more, um, technical, I guess. And so, and I was kind of panicked. I felt pretty good about it. And then I started working on the, um, like the study guide provided by the, the basically like the licensing organization. And I bombed like so bad. There were things that we didn't learn in school. So I honestly, I had to go to Google and kind of self educate on some things that we they just didn't teach us so at you all. You
0: did your research and you educated yourself. I
1: did, and I got a little just salty. like you're
0: supposed to. do. Yeah, I
1: got a little salty for a minute there. I, I'm, I I'm sorry no. that you. I'm sorry that you mentioned the name <laughs> the name of my school because they did a great job. The staff, uh, the faculty was wonderful. Um, but I they apparently uh, they knew meetings. what they were doing they did because i did pass but there were several things that we there was like a whole book that we didn't learn about okay a whole book of codes that i needed that i didn't know existed
0: i say they knew what they were doing because you passed <sighs> i did if you've did not pass. figured out kim is a whole lot more book smart than i am
1: oh well i don't know and about
0: that. i had no doubt from the beginning that you would
1: i did, i have pass a whole lot test. less self confidence than you do
0: well, I've got, a lot of, I've got a lot of confidence in you.
1: Naturally anxious. So anyway, so now I can do medical coding. I don't know if we... I think we mentioned it on the show a couple of times. Yeah, but. you have. So okay. now I, if, if you're looking for a part-time medical coder and you're a medical professional, hit me up. <laughs> I, can, I can do that for you.
0: Yeah. Okay, well, are you ready to get on to the... Sweet part of this episode, yeah.
1: So let's talk about that a little bit. There's, there's kind of a uh, you mentioned it's, it's a, a bitter, it's sweet. a two
0: part, it's a two parter in a one episode show. Yes. So you, let's.
1: There's a, a, yeah, a sweet part and a bitter part, and we're going to cover the the sweet part first.
0: Yeah. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about that sweet and delicious syrup <sighs> called molasses. You know, we're not talking about honey. We're talking about molasses. Now, specifically, this episode is. Is entitled "The Great Molasses Flood of 1919" in Boston, Massachusetts. But before we get into that terrible disaster, and again, we don't absolutely do not no. want to make light of this. But I think that I didn't know about it. I'd never heard of this. I had neither. Yeah, and, and I it's only, a major yeah, thing. So I only recently learned about this. But I think what we wanted to do first to begin with is we we want to talk about molasses because there is.
1: I didn't realize all the uses for molasses and that's in the, integral to the story.
0: In the interesting history of molasses. I mean, when we say interesting, it's interesting to us. Maybe there's people out there and think, oh my what gosh, the these people are excited about I, molasses.
1: Okay, but it is really interesting. Um, I also would like to publicly go on record as saying that I am not a fan of molasses. I am. You are. I yes. you have a massive sweet tooth.
0: Yes, I molasses do. Molasses
1: is too sweet and rich for me. I do not like it.
0: But you use it.
1: I use it in baking. In but often I don't eat it. I don't a lot of times eat the, like your favorite cookie is a molasses cookie. Oh, I don't generally like. I, I did, can't wait for
0: Christmas just I, for the molasses I, cookie. That's the
1: only time I make them. I did find a recipe this year that I do like, but generally speaking, I I don't like molasses cookies. I don't like molasses flavoring. It's too Kim. sweet.
0: T- take your uh, headphones off for one second. Why? i got to say something. I don't want you to hear it.
1: Okay, go for it.
0: I, I like the old molasses cookies better than the ones she made <laughs> this year. Okay, you can put your headphones back okay, on. Okay, well,
1: maybe maybe next year I'll, make, I'll <laughs> okay. make double batches. Okay,
0: but anyway, let's get back to this. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about molasses. We're going to talk about its history its uses, and its nutritional value. Which is zero. Yes, no, no. <laughs> there is nutritional value in molasses. Okay. So I tend to think of molasses for, um, I, I tend to think of it as a southern thing. I would
1: agree with that. Okay, yeah.
0: yeah. I've mentioned many times, my family is from Kentucky, eastern Kentucky, which really isn't the south, but it really isn't the north. Yeah,
1: no, Appalachia is its own thing. It's
0: its own place. And I am working to put together a show about Appalachian Ugh, Eastern Kentucky, but there's just I, a lot of work to put this one together.
1: I actually, I don't know. I kind of almost think of of molasses as more of an Appalachian thing than a Southern thing, uh, now that you mention it.
0: I, maybe, I don't, know, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I just don't see it as much. You don't eat of a lot north, of it in the North, yeah. I don't
1: think. I mean, yeah. did you
0: ever have it growing up? No. I mean, it's in the stores. Yeah, no. But you never, I, okay.
1: Occasionally, my grandma would bake something with, with it, like cookies or whatever, but I don't, I don't remember ever having molasses cookies.
0: Well, your grandma made some good molasses cookies. She did? Yes, she did. I don't remember. And sugar cookies.
1: She did make good sugar cookies, yeah, but...
0: So anyway, molasses is a thick, dark syrup and a byproduct from processing sugar beets or sugar cane. Now, the British, they they have molasses, but they call it treacle, Mm. and... So it it's been around for a long, long time. So
1: side note, I kinda wanna start calling you sugar
0: beet. A sugar beet. <laughs>
1: no, <laughs> anyway. Sugar
0: so, I'm sorry. So, We're getting- yeah. So how do, how do we behave. get molasses? So when sugar is produced, the sugar cane or sugar beets, they're first crushed and their juice is extracted. Now, in my time, I have seen back in Kentucky, I've seen they used they used to make molasses and there would be a poll and the horse would be hooked up to this pole, but the pole really wasn't the... the. Uh, this is
1: a, in your a, lifetime? Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I think sure this is like yeah, 1800s they, kind no, of no, stuff. No, 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 no. Little small farms and stuff, they'll oh, make molasses. Wow. So that pole in the center, what the horse is hooked up to, is actually the press. And so the horse walks around in a circle, and it basically grinds the, uh, the sugar cane, and they, they feed the sugar cane or sorghum, whichever they're using, into the you know into the press and it extracts a liquid. It squeezes it literally just squeezes the juice so out of the sugar cane.
1: Essentially, molasses is just sugar juice.
0: Yes. Oh. Now, okay. Now this this was in Kentucky. Now, commercially, it, it's the same process, but the presses obviously are sure. are bigger and they're more it's industrial mechanical and stuff like that. And
1: yeah. instead of a horse. But, but
0: I've seen I have seen huh. sugar molasses she- made like this. Interesting. Um. So when they get the juice, I'll call it the juice, it's boiled down until it forms sugar crystals. And they extract th- that, those crystals, and that becomes sugar. The remaining liquid le- that is left over is the molasses. Now, molasses, we were talking about this. Molasses is graded, let, let's just for simplicity, it's graded two ways, in, into light and dark Molasses. There's also another grade of molasses called blackstrap. You may have heard of the term blackstrap molasses. So, so, so to get huh?
1: it's so it's kind of similar to I mean, not made the same way as maple syrup is, but graded like yeah, maple syrup has like the really light all the way down to the really dark the and they amber, have different dark, flavors. Yeah, and, yeah. Different- and I
0: don't know if they get those if it you know because of the tree sure or if the way it's boiled. Yeah. but it, huh. it is graded similar to that. Okay, so. Boil the extract once, and you get molasses. You boil it twice, and you get dark molasses. If you boil it the third time, you get the blackstrap molasses. Now, the blackstrap—this is the thickest and darkest, and the least sweet, and it's the most bitter-tasting of all the molasses. So, light molasses—it can be used for a lot of things. Primarily, I think of it as, as a breakfast food. It's some what people it? put it on pancakes and waffles.
1: The most common molasses is dark molasses, right? Isn't no. that typically what we use? No, no. We well, use... it depends.
0: It depends on what I'm using it for. And now that I know a little bit more about it, I'll make sure I'm using it the right way. Mm. So some people, like it. it's, it's, I think of it as a breakfast food. You know. So we talked about the pancakes and the waffles. Some people like to dip their biscuits in it and or they pour it on their biscuits like honey. Well, think of the Vegemite. You don't like cake it on there. You just got like, a little bit, okay? <laughs> just for some flavor. I it think just molasses, makes
1: my teeth hurt just talking about nah, it.
0: But you're, then you're trying to eat too much. It's got a really good flavor. But my grandmother and my mom would put molasses in a saucepan, add just a little bit of baking soda, and boil it, and that would fluff the molasses up. So you bring it to a boil, and you serve it on a plate to be eaten, like I said, either in a biscuit or... Or it's thick enough, you can take a fork and, like, is Isn't eat it, it,
1: like, a meringue texture?
0: Yeah, it, it can be, yeah. yeah. And, I, you know, sooner or later, it will settle down and it'll, yeah. it'll go back. But if you get it when it's hot and fresh, it's like a meringue is a good way to do it. I mean, it, it turns almost a golden color when it's like that. Now, it's mm-hmm. sweet, and you don't want to just yes. sit there and, like, Ooh, eat it by the spoonful. I think you but, probably would, but... Oh, yeah, I can. But no, no
1: thank you. <laughs> yeah.
0: But typically this would be served what we would call the big, the big country, big breakfast, the big country breakfast. Prepare your arteries for this one. Yeah. So, I mean, okay. So if a lot of people are going to be familiar with this, but maybe some people aren't. So to us, the big, the big, the big country breakfast would be biscuits and gravy, some sort of meat or two or three, which (laughs) would generally be bacon, ham, and it might be, Sugar-cured ham, it might be country ham, country ham which, which is, is salty. Salt. Or it might be, just. they would make red-eye gravy out of that ham too. Or it might be sausage, either links or patties. Or all fried, of the above. Fried apples and molasses. Now that would be the, I'm getting hungry.
1: Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. so much food.
0: <laughs> and the fried molasses. So that would be like when the family comes over and you just want to put on that big breakfast mm. on Saturday morning and then you don't to do anything except sit around and... Watch TV or do something oh the rest my gosh, of the day. That's
1: yeah, so much. It's like a three thousand calorie breakfast.
0: Well, then you don't eat the rest of the day. So that's true. Do. Oh,
1: and eggs. There's. Oh eggs. yeah. You oh yeah. I forgot eggs. about eggs. Yeah. There's always eggs. Sometimes there there's biscuits or toast. Some. I mean, sometimes there's biscuits and gravy and toast.
0: Yeah, that's the the big breakfast.
1: And eggs. I
0: Ugh. guess if you went Whew. to Bob Evans or uh, Cracker Barrel, it's. Uh,
1: it's like country breakfast light
0: <laughs> yeah. honestly
1: yeah. oh sometimes there's fried potatoes too yes sometimes depending on where you're at yep Ooh, anyway i'm hungry Ooh, dark molasses is used primarily for baking especially during christmas time for gingerbread which is what the kind of cookies that we're that i'm kind of more familiar with is is not necessarily molasses quote unquote cookies but like gingerbread cookies um, as well as Pennsylvania Dutch shoe fly pie, which I am not familiar with. I've heard of shoe shoe fly pie. That's a tongue twister. It, it really is. But that's I don't, almost
0: as hard as Sugar Creek Township.
1: <laughs> but I don't know what's in it or how to make it. I've never actually had shoe fly pie because I'm not Pennsylvania Dutch, nor have I ever really spent much time up there.
0: Well, when we go to Florida, you can ask Suey. I will. Because uh, she comes from Pennsylvania. Yes, Dutch our sister-in-law territory.
1: is from. Pennsylvania Dutch country, and I bet you she can make me some shoe fly pie. Um, and dark molasses is used for Boston baked beans.
0: And so, when I buy the molasses, I generally am buying it to cook with, and so I generally do buy the uh, the darker the darker molasses. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I think I might like the lighter better because it's not. So, I don't know. It's the darker is much richer. I think.
0: Well, it's usually in the food, so you're not just eating it.
1: Yeah. Ugh. Many barbecue sauces use molasses.
0: Like Steve's famous barbecue Steve sauce. Steve
1: does use molasses in his barbecue sauce. It I
0: have world famous, and I may start. Is it world that.
1: famous? It
0: is because I learned this in Germany.
1: Oh, all right. Yes,
0: so it is world famous.
1: Maybe we'll put the recipe up.
0: Yeah, there was a uh, lieutenant colonel who lived there, and um, he was out barbecuing one time, and he taught me this recipe, and. I've adapted it and adopted it and adapted it and I make it. So maybe one day if we do get a merch page, you'll see an <laughs> hour of your life <laughs>
1: barbecue the, sauce. Sell the barbecue sauce. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, dark molasses is also used to make rum.
0: It comes in quart jars.
1: Uh, black What, the, the, the rum? Oh, the, <laughs> <laughs>
0: the barbecue sauce.
1: <laughs> Blackstrap and other low grades of cane molasses are used in animal feed.
0: Yeah, like horse and mule feed. And my brother... Is raising goats. Oh, just, does does he there. use it in his goat yeah, feed? Yeah, he has like a goat feed, like Purina goat feed, and huh. they mix up like the oats and the grains hmm. with a little bit of molasses because it gives them energy. We and are going to go it's visit good for them.
1: we're gonna go visit them here in a couple weeks, and I'm very excited to meet these goats. Blackstrap is also used in the industrial production of vinegar, citric acid, and other products. And the molasses obtained from sugar beets has a very low sugar content and it's generally inedible. So I'm going to guess that's like the kind of feed molasses that you give to animals.
0: Probably so.
1: Um, Now, before 1948, molasses was fermented to make industrial ethyl alcohol. This is going to be central to our story um, because our story about the molasses flood, uh, you'll see that they were using it to make alcohol. Um, And so... Uh, It was not necessarily to be consumed with biscuits. Also, FYI, ethyl alcohol is now made mostly from ethylene. So this has greatly decreased the demand for molasses. But it was very popular in the Americas prior to the 20th century when it was plentiful and commonly used as a sweetener in foods. Molasses was also an ingredient for brewing beer during colonial times Even George Washington published a molasses beer recipe.
0: The father of the country.
1: Now, I would like to trade and barter with our listeners. If you are a home brewer, I will trade you. I'm I'm gonna kind of put Steve on the spot here. I will if you make us a, a a little bit of George Washington's molasses beer, we'll give you, we'll trade you for some of Steve's molasses barbecue. I will do that. Fair enough. Okay. So if you're a home brewer, let us know and we'll trade. Um, also, the rum that was made primarily in New England from molasses was bartered for slaves in Africa during the trade. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit. The, the, molasses has a little bit of a dark history. Sometimes sulfur is used as a preservative that prevents the molasses from spoiling. And unsulfured molasses is made from naturally ripened sugar canes So they're sweeter and they have a cleaner sugar cane flavor than sulfured molasses. And most of the molasses brands sold in the grocery store are unsulfured. Mm -hmm. Other types of molasses are pomegranate molasses, sorghum molasses, carob molasses, and date molasses.
0: So basically anything you can extract extract sugar from. Yeah, a sweet fruit or a sweet whatever, Mm -hmm. you can make molasses out of it. Gotcha.
1: Now, sweet though, it may be, like I said, molasses also has a somewhat checkered past. As a key ingredient in the distillation of rum, molasses and the cultivation of sugarcane played a crucial part in the slave trade that brought an estimated 12 million Africans to the Americas to work as slave laborers. Many slaves were taken to Puerto Rico, Cuba, and the Caribbean islands in the tropics where sugarcane was grown in order to harvest the cane crop.
0: And we know that, you know, if you listen to the pirate episodes, Mm -hmm. rum was produced in the island. So this was yes. a major, major part. Sugarcane, rum, slave trade.
1: Yep, absolutely. And we're not going to get into that now, um, but that—that that is, you know, it does have a little bit of a history to it. Now, about that nutritional value that Steve mentioned earlier, molasses is composed of 22% water, 75% carbohydrates, no protein, And very small amounts of fat. See,
0: it's fat-free.
1: 0.1% fat. No protein. Uh, In a 100-gram, then we're going to get into science here. In a 100-gram reference amount, molasses is a rich source, which according to the USDA, I guess, uh, is a rich source of value, is 20% or more of the daily value. Of B6. Vitamin B6. I don't know what that does for you, but... That's important. It, it is. You should
0: eat your molasses.
1: I uh, guess. Uh, and several dietary minerals, including manganese, magnesium, iron, potassium, and calcium.
0: All necessary for your body to function properly.
1: <laughs> the sugars in molasses are sucrose, which is a total of 29% of their the carbohydrates, glucose, which makes up 12% of the sugars, and fructose, which makes up 13% of the sugars, according to data from the USDA nutrition table. Now, you may have heard molasses referred to as sorghum, and you're probably curious what the difference is between sorghum and molasses, or maybe you're not curious, but we're going to tell you anyway. I was. Sorghum is made from the juice extracted from the sorghum plant, and molasses is made from the juice extracted from the sugar cane.
0: That's kind of like, what's the difference between a bison and a buffalo? Mm. But we'll get into that later. We will? Not during this show. Okay. Okay. on the Buffalo and Bison show.
1: Oh, all right. I didn't know that was around the corner, but okay. So now that you know more about molasses than you either hadn't ever wanted to know or you just didn't realize there was so much to molasses, we now bring you to the story of the title of this episode, the Great 1919 Molasses Flood of Boston.
0: And this is where the story is going to take a little bit darker turn.
1: Yes, yeah, so all yeah. of the lighthearted um so yeah,
0: every, every time
1: molasses. you yeah,
0: every time you pass through the grocery store, and you reach down there, and you see the burr rabbit molasses.
1: Oh, is that what it is? We always buy grandma's.
0: Yeah, grandma's burr rabbit, whatever they happen to have at the time. Um, yeah, think of it. Just realize it's not just, I mean, it is. It's literally just a jar of molasses. But there's a lot more to the history and the story of molasses than that little jar of burr it's rabbit really or grandma's molasses. It's really fascinating. I yeah. mean,
1: besides just this, like T- the- to us. Well, I mean, besides just this, the, like we talked about the slave trade and the way that um, molasses really, there's so much to it. And I never really thought about it until this episode.
0: I mean, yeah. And it's just a whole part of world history, Mm -hmm, American history, the the history of the Caribbean. Oh yeah. yeah. It's, you can't ignore it because it's there and this is why and how and you know hopefully you know now we all understand a little bit more of why it was such an important part of trade it really
1: makes me it makes me want to know what other foods have i just not really thought about yeah that exist in the world we, this may be like the this may be the start of a new series
0: maybe i mean there's a lot of stuff
1: on the history that we
0: just take for granted and we don't even realize the
1: dark history of foods anyway
0: so let's let's move on to um the, the darker side of her story here. So the source of what became known as the Great Molasses Flood was a 50-foot-tall steel-holding tank loaded, located on Commercial Street in Boston's North End. The molasses in the tank were the property of the United States Industrial Alcohol Company. United States Industrial Alcohol took regular shipments of molasses from the Caribbean and used them to produce alcohol for liquor, and munitions manufacturing to support World War One. Now, the company had built a tank in 1915 when World War One had increased demand for industrial alcohol. As Kim said earlier, they made the ethyl alcohol out of this, and they needed the ethyl alcohol to uh, for the war effort. So yeah, he, this company was make was producing this from molasses, getting the molasses from the Caribbean. Again, another part of History and why molasses was vital and crucial and important to the war effort.
1: Now, do you, I, you may not know because it wasn't really anything that you necessarily did while you were in the army, but I never knew that alcohol had anything to do with munitions. Do you, do you
0: know? I am about 99% sure it was used for and probably still is. in the production of gunpowder and explosives. Oh, okay. Which, you know what, just uh, down here around Kings Island, there was a munitions plant down there. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yes, there was. Back to the story. The company had built the tank in 1915 when World War One had just dramatically increased the demand for this industrial alcohol. The construction process had been rushed, and I mean, they had to get it done. They needed to build this tank right now because they needed the munitions. Right. So they, they just threw this tank up apparently and uh, kind of haphazardly to meet the needs of the war effort. The container from the time they built it, the, you could hear it groaning and just moaning from all the pressure that was in it. It's not good. Yeah. And it often leaked. Yeah, it wasn't good. And it often leaked molasses onto the street. At least one USIA employee had warned his bosses that, you know, the tank was, structurally unsound. Now the company did go out, they recocked the, the outside of the tank, but the company took little other action to basically maintain the tank. Yeesh. Yeah. By 1919, the largely Italian and Irish immigrant families on Commercial Street had grown accustomed, I mean they just got used to hearing the rumbles yeah. and metallic creaking that that was coming from the tank. Yeah. The temperatures on the afternoon of January 15th, 1919 were over 40 degrees, which was... Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit, yeah, which was unusually mild for a Boston winter.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, normally you're looking at teens and
0: 20s. I, I assume, yeah. It's cold. Yeah, so anyway, and that was pretty unusually mild for a Boston winter. Now, Commercial Street was busy with the sound of... People working with horses, you know, doing their clip clopping as they walked by. And there was a, an elevated train station, which was nearby. So there was a lot of noise on Commercial Street at this time. At the Engine 31 firehouse, a group of men were eating their lunch while they were playing a little game of cards. Just, you know, it was just a normal day. Yeah. Near the molasses tank, a little boy, 8-year-old Antonio D'Estasio, his sister Maria, and another boy named Pascual in Tosco were gathering firewood for their families. Again, just a normal day. No uh, one expected anything to happen. So much. At his family's home overlooking the tank, barman Marty Cloggerty was still dozing in bed, having uh, he he'd worked a late shift at his saloon, and the saloon was called the Pen and Pencil Club. But around twelve forty PM mid afternoon, the calm was broken by the sound of a metallic roar. Before residents had time to understand what was happening, the recently refilled molasses tank had ripped wide open and unleashed about 2.3 million gallons of the dark sludge molasses into the streets.
1: The Boston Post later wrote, a rumble, a hiss, some say a boom and a swish, and a wave of molasses swept out. Witnesses reported that they felt the ground shake and heard a roar as it collapsed, a long rumble similar to the passing of an elevated train. Others reported a tremendous crashing, a deep growling, a thunderclap-like bang, and the sound like a machine gun as the rivets shot out of the tank.
0: Could you imagine?
1: I know. And like, you don't know what's happening. Like you kind of do, but kind of don't. They
0: have no idea what happened.
1: It's such an unnatural noise to be hearing at that time of day that with like everything going on. I mean, like you said, it's a it's a noisy, busy street, but this is a different noise that sounds very out of place. And very loud. Um, a 15 foot wall of syrup rushed over commercial street at 35 miles an hour, which that's one of those lines that like, it sounds funny until you get to the second part where it obliterated all the people, horses, buildings, and electrical poles in its path. So you think about a 15 foot wall of syrup and it sounds kind of funny, but even the solid steel supports of the elevated train platform were snapped Antonio de Stacio, Maria de Stacio, and Pasquale Iantosca were all instantly swallowed by the torrent. Maria was suffocated to death by the molasses. Pasquale was killed after being struck by a railroad car. Antonio lived, but he suffered a severe head injury from being flung into a light post. Molasses, waist deep, covered the street and swirled and bubbled around the wreckage, Horses died like so many flies on sticky flypaper, and the more they struggled, the deeper in the mess they were ensnared. Human beings, men and women, suffered likewise. The Boston Globe would later write, the force of the molasses wave caused buildings to, quote, cringe up as though they were made of pasteboard. So it just, it goes from being, oh, ha, 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 this flood of molasses, to three children are dead now. It, it, it well, there's a lot more dead people. Oh yeah, but violently.
0: These are the only stories that.
1: Right. Oh the, yeah. The
0: Globe reported on
1: violent. Yeah. Um. The Boston Globe reported that people were quote picked up by a rush of air and hurled many feet. Others had debris hurled at them. I can from- you imagine
0: a rush of air? There was so much force. Yeah. That the the air pressure pushed these people up in the air.
1: We'll talk about it later, but they compared it to a tsunami. Yeah. Is how aggressive this was um others had debris hurled at them from the rush of sweet smelling air and a truck was picked up and hurled into boston harbor the engine 31 firehouse where the guys were playing cards was knocked clean off its foundation causing its second story to collapse into its first and we're going to come back to the firehouse in a minute the nearby Clowerty house meanwhile was swept away and thrown against the elevated train platform Martin, having just woken up, watched his home crumble around him before being thrown into the current. He said, I was in bed on the third floor of my house when I heard a deep rumble, and when I awoke, I was in several feet of molasses. Clarity nearly drowned in the gooey whirlpool before climbing atop his own bed frame, which he discovered floating nearby.
0: Now, the barman used the makeshift boat to rescue his sister, Teresa, but his mother and younger brother were among those killed in the disaster. Almost as quickly as it had crashed, the molasses wave receded, uh, revealing a half-mile swath—a half-mile swath of crushed buildings, crumpled bodies, and waist-deep muck.
1: I can't even imagine. And then, yeah. e- eventually, you know, once it kind of recedes a little bit, you're going to have to clean all this up.
0: Well, we'll we'll get to that. And here and there, uh, they, they saw forms struggling, whether it was an animal or a human being. It was impossible to tell. The Boston Globe. The I'm sorry. The Boston Post reporter wow. eventually wrote, "Only an upheaval, a thrashing about, in the sticky mess showed where any life was." So I mean, it was that deep that it was just they could just see.
1: Wow. F- flailing, and, and these yeah. people are drowning. Yeah, animals are drowning.
0: Yeah. First to the scene were 116 cadets under the direction of Lieutenant Lieutenant Commander H. J. Copeland from the USS Nantucket, which was a training ship. Um, of the Massachusetts Nautical School now the Massachusetts Maritime Academy that was docked nearby at at the playground pier they ran several blocks toward the accident entered the knee deep sticky mess to pull out the survivors while others worked to keep the curious from getting in the way of the rescuers I'm, so people
1: well, i, don't, yeah, I, I mean, don't want to say
0: it was organized but people just reacted to this yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: well it almost it reminds me kind of of 911
0: in yeah. that sense, where yeah. people
1: just saw a, there disaster, was a disaster and just rushed yeah. to help. And
0: people basically reacted and yeah. did what had to be done. The Boston Police, Red Cross, Army, and Navy personnel soon arrived on the scene. Some nurses from the Red Cross just dove into the molasses while others tended to the injured. And they kept um, they kept them warm and uh, and they fed the exhausted workers as time went on mm. during the rescue efforts. Many of these people worked through the night, and the injured were so numerous that the doctors and surgeons set up a makeshift hospital in a nearby building. Rescuers found it difficult to make their way through the syrup to help the victims, and four days had elapsed before they stopped searching. Many of the dead were so glazed over molasses that they were just hard to recognize. Wow. The first responders struggled to wade through the quicksand-like molasses, which had begun to—and this is where it gets— wintertime because as it got cold, the molasses began to harden Mm -hmm. in the chill of the chilly air, but they soon began plucking survivors from the wreckage.
1: Now we mentioned the way the firehouse kind of collapsed. The most dramatic rescue took place there at the engine 31 firehouse where several of the men from the card game were trapped in a molasses flooded pocket of space on the collapsed first floor And workers freed the survivors after several hours of cutting away floorboards and debris, but not before one of the firefighters lost his strength and drowned. Mm. Over the next several days, rescue workers continued to sift through the ruins, shooting molasses-trapped horses and recovering bodies. The human toll would eventually climb to 21 dead, another 150 injured, but many of the deceased remained missing for several days. The remains of one victim, a wagon driver named Cesare Nicolo, were not fished out of nearby Boston Harbor until almost four months after the flood. Cleanup crews used salt water from a fireboat to wash away the molasses and sand to absorb it, but the harbor was brown with molasses until summer. Now, remember, this happened on January 15th. Mm -hmm. The cleanup in the immediate area took weeks With several hundred people contributing to the effort and it took even longer to clean the rest of greater Boston and its suburbs because rescue workers, cleanup crews, sightseers, they'd all track molasses through the streets and spread it to subway platforms, streets inside trains and streetcars to pay telephone handsets to homes, countless places. And so basically everything that a Bostonian touched was sticky.
0: Yeah. This, it's one, again, it's just one of these stories that it's, So incredible, it's hard to believe if it hadn't actually happened. After it was all said and done, the victims did file 119 different lawsuits against the United States Industrial Alcohol Company. The plaintiffs argued that the molasses tank had been too thin and was shoddily built to safely hold its contents, but USIA offered a variety of different explanations for the rupture. Sabotage being one. Now, they claimed the flood occurred during a period of increased terrorist activity from Italian anarchist groups, which have been previously blamed for dozens of bombings across the country, primarily during World War One. So in 1918, when World War I was still underway, an unidentified man had even called the USIA's office and threatened to destroy the tank with dynamite. So they were using this as, you know, it's, it's not our fault. With this in mind, the company alleged that the tank had been intentionally blown up by evilly disposed persons. Yikes. The lawsuits against USIA were eventually combined into one huge legal proceeding that dragged on for five years. Over 1,500 exhibits were introduced and some 1,000 witnesses testified, including explosive experts, flood survivors, and USIA employees.
1: The closing arguments alone took 11 weeks, but in April 1925, State Auditor Hugh W. Ogden finally ruled that the United States' industrial alcohol was to blame for the disaster. Rather than a bomb, he concluded that the company's poor planning and lack of oversight had led to the tank's structural failure. USIA would later pay the flood victims and their family members $628,000 in damages, which is the equivalent of around $8 today. By the time the settlement was finally paid, the area around Commercial Street had long recovered from the multi-million gallon molasses tsunami. Over 300 workers had converged on the scene in the days after the disaster to remove wreckage and debris. And then, like we mentioned, the firefighters later used brooms, saws, and saltwater pumps to strip away the last of the syrupy residue. But... Again, the waters of Boston Harbor remained stained brown until the summer and the smell of molasses lingered for decades.
0: Not weeks or months. You said decades. Decades. Wow. 100 years later, analysis have been uh, conducted and pinpointed a handful of factors that combined to make this such a disastrous catastrophe that happened on that day. One of the things that they that they pointed out was flawed steel, safety oversights, fluctuating air temperatures, and the principles of fluid dynamics. Whatever, the results were devastating. And this is this guy, Mark Russell, kind of takes the attitude that we we yeah. took with this when we first heard. First, you kind of laugh at it when you read about it, and it it was just horrible, he said. As in Mark is a civil engineer and professor emeritus at Southern Illinois University in Edwardsville, and he has written books about the molasses flood. And like we said, that yeah. was my first reaction first, too. First, you're like, oh, Kim's. ha, yeah.
1: ha, ha, but no, it, it was, ho- it was awful.
0: Yeah. More recent investigations uh, suggest several fundamental problems with the structure of the tank. It was designed to hold 2.5 million gallons of liquid. It measured 50 feet tall and 90 feet in diameter, but its steel walls, which ranged from 0.67 inches at the bottom to 0.31 inches at the top, were too thin to support the, weight, uh, the full weight of the molasses. And that information was found in a 2014 analysis by Ronald Mayville, who is a senior structural engineer in the Massachusetts consulting firm of Sinson, Gumpertz, and Heger.
1: I mean, that just doesn't, 0.31 inches, that doesn't sound very thick for millions of gallons of, of molasses. Flawed rivet design was another problem, according to Mayville's analysis, and stresses were too high on the rivet holes where cracks first formed. Although molasses had been poured into the container 29 times, only four of those refills were to near capacity. The fourth top-off happened two days before the disaster when a ship arrived from Puerto Rico carrying 2.3 million gallons of molasses. And at that point, the tank held enough molasses to fill 3.5 Olympic-sized swimming pools. That's a lot of molasses. That is a lot. Both the inadequate thickness and the rivet issues were signs of negligence and structural engineers knew better at the time, says Rossow. But the tank had been built quickly in the winter of 1915 to meet that rising demand for alcohol, which could be distilled from molasses and sold to weapons companies who used it to make dynamite and other explosives, you know, using the gunpowder during World War I. And instead of inspecting the tank and billing it with water first to test it for flaws, USIA ignored all warning signs, including those groaning noises every time it was filled. And there were, off, there were obvious cracks before the tank blew, this is mind boggling to me. Children would bring cups to fill with the sweet molasses that dripped out of it.
0: Unbelievable.
1: Which is why probably the little boy and his sister and his buddy were all hanging out. Like they well, hang out there. by the molasses. Yeah, was, getting some free molasses. Oh off yeah. The tank. It was
0: just it was just there as part of their life. Yeah. Yeah. When a laborer brought actual shards of steel from the tank's walls into the treasurer's office. That's unbelievable. As evidence for the potential danger, Rosso wrote in a 2015 analysis. He replied, I don't know what you want me to do, the tank still stands.
1: Unbelievable.
0: What engineers didn't know at that time, Rosso says, was that the steel had been mixed with two little mag- manganese, and that gave it a high transition temperature, making the metal brittle when it cooled below 59 degrees Fahrenheit. The air temperature on that day of the disaster was about 40 degrees, like we said. Its brittleness might have been the final straw in this disaster. There were a lot of culprits, Rosso says. A similar flaw, he adds, uh, befell some of the early Liberty ships built by the United States during World War II. If you don't know that story, a lot of these ships, as they were transporting supplies from the east coast of the United States to England to resupply England during the, uh, before the United States entered the war, mm-hmm. these ships, just simply Liberty ships, they simply just broke in half, Whoa. and it's because the the steel was brittle. And eventually, the Navy had to go through and weld plates onto this, oh, where the cow. because the ships were all breaking at the same place. Wow! And they welded bars and
1: they duct taped it back together. Yeah, they, they duct taped <laughs> and made
0: made emergency repairs on. Yikes! It. Yeah.
1: Now, once the floodgates opened, the principles of fluid dynamics compounded the problem, says Nicole Sharp, who's an aerospace engineer in Denver and the author of FYFD, a fluid dynamics website. You
0: know, a lot of people have looked into this.
1: It's Yeah, a yeah. lot of very, people much smarter than we are. Yeah. She became interested in the molasses flood after helping teach a class at Harvard in which a group of undergraduate students created a scaled model of the event. They released a vat of corn syrup into a tiny cardboard Boston and used high-speed cameras to film what happened. Nicole said, I watched as the corn syrup engulfed tiny figurines. It would be like having a tsunami wave hit you. It made me want to look into the physics of the accident. She was particularly intrigued by reports of how fast the molasses flowed. So now molasses, which is one and a half times more dense than water, is notoriously slow to pour. Oh, yeah. But in the flood, molasses, which is a non Newtonian fluid like ketchup or toothpaste, would have moved as a gravity current, much like a mudslide or an avalanche or a lava flow. And based on the features of molasses, Sharp's calculations confirmed that the initial wave could have moved as quickly as 35 miles an hour. The day's mild conditions probably aided the spread of molasses, which flowed outward for about two blocks. And conditions got much worse that night when the temperatures dropped, which caused the liquid to become increasingly viscous. And already pinned down by fallen buildings, some of the victims then became stuck in the molasses, which was a foot deep in some places. At least one person died by asphyxiation hours after the accident, Sharp said. And rescue efforts would have likely been easier, she speculates, if the accident had happened in the heat of July and the molasses had been able to spread further out from the tank.
0: Well there's plenty of science to explain what went wrong in the molasses flood, but the accident ultimately boils down to ethics says Rosso, who um, he he's analyzed the building collapses and other case studies to understand when engineering disasters are a result of negligence. Most of the things I've looked at don't really have much to do with the lack of scientific knowledge, so much so much as the lack of responsibility of the people in charge he says. Mm. It's an ethical issue. Rather than understanding the science, United States Industrial Alcohol did not rebuild the tank.
1: The property formerly occupied by the molasses tank and the North End Paving Company became a yard for the Boston Elevated Railway, which was the predecessor to the Massachusetts Bay Transportation Authority. It's now the site of a city-owned recreational complex, officially named Langone Park, featuring a little league baseball field, a playground, and bocce courts. Immediately to the east is the larger Pueblo Park. Hopefully I said that right. With the additional recreational facilities and a small plaque at the entrance to the park placed by the Bostonian Society commemorates the disaster. The plaque, titled Boston Molasses Flood, reads, On January 15, 1919, a molasses tank at 529 Commercial Street exploded under pressure, killing 21 people. A 40-foot wave of molasses buckled the elevated railroad tracks crushed buildings, and inundated the neighborhood. Structural defects in the tank combined with unseasonably warm temperatures contributed to the disaster. The accident since become a staple of local culture, not only for the damage the flood brought, but also for the sweet smell that filled the North End for decades after the disaster. And according to journalist Edwards Park, the smell of molasses remained for decades in distinctive, unmistakable atmosphere of Boston. On that's twice
0: f- that's been reported.
1: Yeah. On January 15th, 2019, for the 100th anniversary of the event, a ceremony was held in remembrance, and ground-penetrating radar was used to I- identify the exact location of the tank from 1919. The concrete slab base for the tank remains in place approximately 20 inches below the surface of the baseball diamond at Langone Park, and attendees of the ceremony stood in a circle marking the edge of the tank and the 21 names of those who died in or as a result of the flood were then read aloud.
0: Many laws and regulations governing construction were changed as a direct result of this disaster, including the requirements of oversight by a licensed architect and civil engineer. One of the uh, duck amphibious tourist vehicles operated by the Boston Duck Tours has been named Molly Molasses in remembrance of the event for the firm's practice of naming their ducks after famous Boston locations, events, and other bits of local culture. The Great Molasses Flood was also the theme of a 2019 MIT mystery hunt.
1: A song called The Great Molasses Disaster appears on the album The Dukes of All Hazard* by the rock band The Darkest of the Hillside Thickets, and a book called I Survived the Great Molasses Flood 1919 was written by the author Lauren Tarshis as part of the I Survived Children's Historical Fiction Book series. The song Sweet Bod from the album Spirit Phone by Lemon Demon was described on the album's commentary track to have combined the legend of the mellified man with the true events of the molasses flood, but changed the lyrics as to not be insensitive to the victims. And then the song All Hands from the album Palimpset by Protest the Hero references the flood from the perspective of one of the victims. But as a side note, this is not the only molasses disaster.
0: That's right. On Monday, September 9th, 2013, a pipeline from a molasses tank near Honolulu Harbor in Hawaii was loading molasses onto a ship when a leak in the pipeline dumped hundreds of thousands of gallons of molasses into the Pacific Ocean. I had no idea.
1: I didn't know about And that's fairly recent.
0: I bet you if we were to go to Boston and go into some of these little pubs and houses, you know, bars and pubs mm-hmm. and stuff like that where they have the live bands. I bet you those bands sing these songs. Maybe. I bet you it's it's a muff. I, they might I, I, I need someone if you from can Boston. can still
1: kind of smell it in we need some to, of those older places where it gets in those cracks and crevices and you're not going to get it out. Our buddy
0: Charlie is from uh Boston. We need to ask him. Charlie. Charlie will know. I'll call him. Okay. Yeah. Well,
1: there's also oh. there, there's
0: there's also another pretty famous song about the MTA and Casey and he he gets on the MTA and he gets lost and Casey never makes it home. But that's another song. That's a, that's an Irish song. Yeah, oh, okay. you know, we're just past St. Patrick's Day.
1: Yeah. So that's it for the Great Molasses Flood of 1919. Had no idea that this was a thing that happened.
0: Yeah. And thanks, Matthias, for... Oh, is Matthias na- the one that told you Mathias, about this? Matthias the one. He said, Dad, have you ever heard about uh, the Great Molasses Flood? I said, no, because I thought he was joking.
1: Well, yeah, no joke. It's yeah. a pretty bad, serious thing. So now, thank you, Matthias. Now everybody else knows about the Grey Molasses flood too. Yeah. There's a lot of information out there.
0: Well, anyway, sad story. Yeah. In the end it turned out to be a very sad story, but good came out of it with laws and regulations yeah. to help try to help prevent something like this from ever happening again. And and just like with many, many disasters. It's not just one thing that caused it. It's oh, yeah. all, almost always a series mm-hmm. of events that just adds and compounds until something finally happens and everything just goes to heck in a handbasket over everything. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, anything else, Kim?
1: I don't think so. We have some uh, interview shows coming up pretty soon. A couple of really interesting um, jobs that we're going to talk to people uh couple of people a couple of lovely ladies who have jobs that maybe you might not have heard of or are aware of and so. they're just
0: very different and unique jobs.
1: Yeah, so we're looking forward to talking with them here in the next couple of
0: weeks. And April 3rd we'll have a, another very special episode. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Yep, that's coming up too.
0: Yeah. So All right, So we
1: got some good stuff on the back burner.
0: Yeah. So if someone wanted to get hold of us, how would they do it? I would say the first step now is
1: go to an hour of your life.com
0: and everything can be reached from there.
1: Absolutely. If you want to find us on the socials, we're on all the things, the uh, Twitter at a lost hour, um, Instagram and Facebook and hour of your life. You can email us through the website or you can just email us at a lost hour at gmail.com.
0: Yeah. The easy thing is just go to the website, to the website and, and hit there's, an two hour of your there's two places you can hit. So, you know, it was so
1: easy. Yeah, to get a hold and of. I, I
0: was so happy to have this guy call. We talked for probably an hour about uh, Buford Pusser. So, cool. if you want to Buster Chops about Do something, Buster bust Chops, we're not claiming to be experts we, at this, not at all. But
1: um, we love talking with
0: with listeners. Yeah. yeah, but if if you have additional information. Bring it on! We can we'll we'll do a whole another show on a topic, Absolutely. and let you give your expert knowledge on anything. We'd love that, and that's why we want to do this show. Yep. Again, it's a hobby for me and Kim. We love it. We love it. We love you. All right. Anything else? I think that's it. All right. So from our studio, I'm going to do this without <laughs> screwing this up. <laughs> How this are time. you? From our studios in Sugar Creek Township.
1: Thanks for spending an hour of your life with us. Quite a few sources this week, including History.com, The Boston Globe, The Boston Post, Wikipedia, Britannica, LiveScience.com, AllRecipes.com, <laughs> uh, Mark Rossau, Civil Engineer and Professor Emeritus at Southern Uni- Illinois University in Edwardsville, Ronald Mayville, Senior Structural Engineer in the Massachusetts Consulting Firm of Simpson, Gumpertz, and Heger, Nicole Sharp, Aerospace Engineer, and Journalist Edwards Park.
0: All Recipes did not have a recipe for fried molasses. Really? They did not. And one other thing, the reason is so many because we broke this up into two parts. The, the story about molasses sure. and the story about the flood. So lots of references this week.
1: All Recipes does have a recipe for molasses cookies, which apparently isn't as good as my old recipe.
0: How did you know that? <laughs> <laughs>